Three out of four Christians believe in prosperity gospel. That is the headline that Relevant Magazine had that totally got my attention. And today we're talking about that stat, what prosperity gospel is, how a lot of us can unintentionally believe it, and if you do believe it, why you shouldn't. I'll probably do a more in-depth public episode or just share this episode publicly on prosperity gospel soon because it is really hitting for me lately. All right, so here's that stat from the study. A new study from LifeWay Research reveals that 76% of Christians believe God wants them to prosper financially. That number rises among younger generations with 81% of churchgoers between the ages of 18 to 34 and 85% of churchgoers between the ages of 35 and 49 holding on to that belief. Hey friend, I'm Megan Edmonds, and I am so glad that you're here joining me on the She Lives Purposefully podcast, a place where we are encouraged and equipped in our walks with Christ, in knowing our purpose, and in living purposefully as Christian women. I am so thankful that we get to do this life to seek God and honor Him together. So what is prosperity gospel? Basically, prosperity gospel, and the quote says it here too, is believing that God wants people to prosper financially. It's also known as the health and wealth gospel, but it won't always be called those things. And what you can spot is basically implying that or claiming that God rewards faith with health and or wealth. That's essentially my understanding of the prosperity gospel. Um, and two, I think a big part of that is believing that Christians have the right to health and wealth. So what are some forms of that that we're seeing? Often we do see it in the form of financial wealth. So if you give, God will bless you. If you have faith, God will increase your finances. Do you believe it? You know, God wants you to prosper. We also see it with health. I have even seen a quote, and it hurts my heart, that um, it says this, that healing is the children's bread. This implies that healing and health is something that God wants and has for his children. A very popular teacher, um, his name is Andrew Womack, I believe that's how you pronounce it, said this, healing is the children's bread. It's your portion. It's what God has given to you. If you're a Christian, healing belongs to you. If you just meditate, it just gets me so ah, frustrated. If you just meditate on the implications of this for a while, it'd go a long way in seeing healing manifest. You'd, you'd just realize I don't have to be sick. That's exactly right. I will share the link to that article for you in the show notes. So we see it in the form of healing. We also see it in the form of opportunity and plans that God does want something of yours to succeed. We almost twist it, all of these things into manifestation too. Like if you believe it or pray it, God wants it for you. Chase your dreams. He wants you to be fulfilled in however way you want to be fulfilled. So I was planning this episode too, and then I saw this video about another prosperity. It's another prosperity video, and it got me riled up all the more, and we'll dive into why a video like this is really important. It's heartbreaking, and it's something that we just have to get straight. So I'm going to explain the video, and then, you know, we have a whole episode planned. So it's, oh my gosh, it's just something that gets me so frustrated, and I will explain why, but here we go. So the video was a woman 
maybe a woman, a preacher, a pastor, it seems like, and she says this, I am not going to be bothered by the details of how, because a lot of time, that's what kills the momentum in our lives. She goes on to mock someone um, who, and like giving the impression of someone saying um, this, how am I ever going to get healed if the doctor said I can't? And she says it like that, but even more intense. And then she says, who cares? Just believe. She then says, you have to have faith to see whatever it is you want to see. And then she says, if you want to see that baby, then see it. Then she mocks, well, the doctor says that I have a thyroid problem. And then she follows up with, who cares? Just see it. Do you see it? If you can see it, then you can have it. Can you say amen? And I just want to break this down so much, but I know that I have a whole episode of notes planned. So let's just go for the whole episode. But before we do, I will say this friend, life is real. Suffering is real. Struggles are real. Infertility is real. Health issues are real. And God never promised, never promised that if you can see it, whatever it is you want to see, then you can have it. Never. There are verses that you could twist to make it say really whatever you want to make it say, sure, but then you're putting words in God's mouth that he never said, things that he never promised, and there are a lot of repercussions to doing that. All right, so let's dive in. So first, I just want to talk about this because I think it's an important preface. Does God promise a sense of prosperity, healing, etc. to believers? So we do see in scripture healing. We see God healing people. We see it often in scripture and we see it sometimes too as an outcome of faith. We also see God's provision in people's lives. And we see too in verses like Proverbs 28, 25, it says, he who trusts the Lord will prosper or in Proverbs 13, 21, the righteous will be rewarded with prosperity. So here it is, friends, the gospel, the Bible, it does promise prosperity. Yes, but real prosperity. John Piper puts it this way. Christians are unimaginably rich. If you are in Christ, then every possible blessing that God could possibly give is yours. The wealth of heaven is not an impersonal prize mechanically given to everyone who believes in Jesus. It is an inheritance, a personal gift given from our father to those who have been born again, 1 Peter 1, 3, or adopted, Ephesians 1, 5, into his family through union with Jesus by faith. The wealth of God's eternal blessings given to his saints flows in a river of gratefulness and delight towards the great sea, the purpose of all created history, the praise of God's glorious grace, Ephesians 1, 6, 12, and 14. That does not mean that although sometimes we do see it, you know, health, wealth, we see prosperity in the lives of Christians, absolutely. That doesn't mean that God promises those things or that we are entitled to those things on this side of heaven, on earth, not even in those Proverbs verses. Do I believe that God moves, that he heals, that he provides, that he directs, that he raises up? Yes, yes, yes. And praise the Lord. He does those things. Do I believe that his healing For my friends, that wealth, that all of my dreams and goals, if I can see it, are guaranteed for me in this life? No. 
Do I believe that I do prosper in Christ because of what is coming in eternity? Yes. Do I also believe that we don't take advantage enough of what God actually does have for us and give us spiritually here on earth? Yeah, I do believe that too. But he never promises that we won't suffer. And he never promises that, you know, suffering is not going to happen if we have enough faith or that suffering will stop if we have enough faith or, you know, that we won't reap the consequences of sin in this world or that we'll always have the upper hand. And we can't cherry pick verses to tell us so. So why is prosperity gospel not true? And soon we'll talk about why this matters at all. You know, like why not let people believe what they want to believe? Um, But right now let's talk about why it's not true. I really want to lump it all together in different types of prosperity gospel, like all together for this, but I know, I I think I'm just going to end up breaking it down. So a lot of these prosperity promises are rooted in verses that are severely taken out of context. For example, with healing, the idea that healing is the bread of God's children is taken from, um, I think it's primarily a verse in Mark 7. I think we also see that verse in Matthew 15, where a Gentile woman comes to Jesus and asks him to heal her daughter by taking a demon out of her. So Jesus says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Right off the bat, this can feel kind of harsh at face value. It sounds like Jesus is calling her a dog. Um, so let's break that down too. David Gusick says that in that day, Jews often called Gentiles dogs. It was a very derogatory term um, to the Greek. The word dog meant a shameless and audacious woman. It was used exactly with the same connotation that we use the B word here. This is all from David Guzik's commentary. Um, So it was definitely a term of contempt by the Jews. However, Jesus did not use the normal word for dogs in this verse. If you go back to the original language, instead he softened it into a term little dogs. Essentially, without being derogatory, reminding the woman of her place as a Gentile, yet not wanting to push her away completely. Again, I'm pulling a lot of this from David Guzik's commentary. A lot of this is straight from there, his verbiage. Um, So in the Greek, it basically is almost affectionate, this term. He breaks it from derogatory. It's actually affectionate. And he took the sting out of the word. He's reminding her at this time that the Jewish people get priority as God's people when it comes to God working. And she responds humbly, realizing her place before God, which we all should do. And he does heal her daughter. Praise the Lord. Now, this verse is not a blanket statement for all healing. And how do we know that? There is a couple different ways that we actually know that. But one is that this interpretation of the verse that some people have by saying that, you know, because he says that, let me get the wording exactly right. It's not right to take the children's bread 
and throw it to the dogs. And they're taking that and applying children's bread to healing. That interpretation of this verse would contradict the rest of scripture, where God does not heal everyone. It's also noteworthy to say that he's healing this girl from a demon and Christians can't be demon possessed. So it's not like a general healing. It's very specific to a demonic, like freeing her from a demon, um, which is, you know, we can't overlook something like that. And, you know, that for Christians, I believe, is a guarantee that we can't be demon-possessed. But if we're going to take that, then we need to really realize what he's doing specifically and not just put a blanket over it and say that this is all general healing. Matthew Henry puts it super well. He says this, Christ never put any from him that fell at his feet, which a poor trembling soul may do. As she was a good woman, so a good mother. This sent her to Christ. His saying, let the children first be filled, shows that there was mercy for the Gentiles and not far off. She spoke not as making light of the mercy, but magnifying the abundance of miraculous cures among the Jews in comparison with which a single cure was but a crumb. Thus, while proud Pharisees are left by the blessed Savior, he manifests his compassion to poor, humbled sinners who look to him for the children's bread. He still goes about to seek and save the lost. To another verse that's really often taken out of context, we won't dive in hard here, but it is 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now in context, if we, you know, don't cherry pick this verse and we go to it in context, the writer is literally had just been referring to a poverty stricken church who is generous with each other and full of grace. So he is surely not implying that wealth is guaranteed on this earth for Christians. And the verse also very clearly contrasts Jesus pre-earth wealth giving that up so that, yes, we might become rich. And when was Jesus rich? When were we going to become rich? In heaven. So, you know, contrasting that earthly like poverty and the heavenly wealth. And so we will become, you know, we are going to become rich. And when is that going to be? We have that in heaven. These promises are for heaven. We get to reap rewards and blessings in heaven. David Guzik says, quote, we have a share in Jesus's eternal heavenly wealth because he came and had a share in our poverty. So let's, I think reading that in context is just so important. So too, in, in these quick verses, we can base an entire wrong doctrine when we cherry pick verses and take them out of context. And we see too, like I mentioned before, that when we do that, it contradicts what we actually see of God. We see that in this life, he was poor, and so were a lot of his disciples. He called them to, you know, when they're going out to preach the gospel, he called them to bring nothing with them at some points. We also see Paul had a thorn in his flesh that he asked God to take from him, and God did not. We see that Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for an ailment, and so was Timothy not having enough faith because he was sick and not miraculously healed? No. In 2 Timothy, we also see that Paul left someone named Trophimus, who is said to be a long-time companion, and he left him there sick and did not heal him. 
with this whole mindset was this person, should he have been able to basically be healed if he had enough faith and he could just envision it? Why wasn't he healed himself? And why did Paul not heal him? You know, those things are not guaranteed. God and God through his disciples doesn't heal everyone. It's not a guarantee. We know too in Luke chapter six, Jesus says, and it says, quote, looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say now, if you envision it, you'll be wealthy, but rather that yours is the kingdom of God. That is where our promises lie. In James 2, we're called not to make distinctions between the poor and the wealthy in the church, which would imply that there are poor in the church. Jesus tells a wealthy man to sell everything to follow him and says it's hard for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. In Acts 14.22, Paul teaches that there are many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom, not through the lack of of. In Romans 8 verses 35 through 36, Paul says that there will be tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. In Romans 5 verses 3 through 5, it talks about how we rejoice in our sufferings, which implies that there will be suffering. We can't faith that away or envision that away. And importantly, you know, we don't see any in-context verses. You know, we have all these examples of scripture that kind of contradict what the message is if we take those couple of verses out of context, if we cherry-pick these verses and say, you know what, there's prosperity. We see that contradict a plethora of verses, but really importantly, we don't see any in-context verses that promise worldly wealth or health based on faith to all Christians. On the flip side, 1 Timothy 6 actually says this, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He is unhealthily, unhealthy craving. He is an unhealthy craving. He has, sorry, I keep messing this up. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels and words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are deprived depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. Imagining, here we go, that godliness is a means of gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So to think that godliness is a means of gain, is a way to have gain, and that's literally exactly what prosperity gospel is. It's saying that if we have enough faith, then we will have those things. You know, you want this, you can envision this, have faith and it's yours. That's a means of gain, godliness there. So this is basically saying that This is something that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see in verse 8 too, that if we have food and clothing, we should be content. Now, does this mean that Christians cannot be wealthy and cannot have health and cannot have prosperity and that the Lord doesn't give those things to those people? Absolutely not. That's what we talked about at the very beginning of this. He does actually give 
give that to a lot of Christians. We see a lot of Christians who have those things and that is incredible. That's a blessing from the Lord, but that is not a promise and it is not a guarantee. Is money the root of all evil? No, the love of money is the root of all evil. And so all of that to say is yes, there are Christians who have health, who have wealth, who have prosperity, but that's not a promise. It's not something that we are entitled to in Christ in this world. John Piper said this and I thought it was great. Prosperity preaching has a greater expectation of prosperity than is intended for this life. It's intended for the next. So we've talked about, you know, why it's not true. And now I want to talk about why it is important. And this is our last little bit here. Um, All right, Scott McConnell, who is the executive director of LifeWay Research from that original article with that stat we talked about in the beginning, said this, pursuing holiness was never designed by God to be a plan for financial riches. The size of one's finances is not the measure of anyone's service to God, nor relationship with him. And the same thing can be true about their health, about their opportunities, things like that. This is important to know for a number of reasons, and I just want to go through them quickly with you. One is that it can give us a wrong motivation to pursue God. We desire maybe, you know, if this is our mindset and we're rolling with this, then maybe we desire his blessings over himself. Two, and this is a huge one, this is why I think these next two ones are why it gets me so riled up. If we are firm in this, it can cause us to lose faith because if something goes awry, rather when something goes awry, because suffering is inevitable in this life, we might begin to think that God didn't keep his promises, but these are things that he never promised to begin with, and it can completely throw our faith. Two, it can be extremely hurtful to others who are struggling in some way and can actually cause them, like it can do to ourselves, to be hardened or hurt because of something this prosperity gospel is telling them that God never actually said. We say that healing is the children's bread, right? It's a must. And when they're not healed, is God a liar? Are you saying that they weren't his children? Did they just not have enough faith? Did God fail them? Did he not keep his promise to them? It was a right. It was a guarantee. It's something they're entitled to. Or is it this fake promise that actually was never promised by God? And I'm here to say that God never fails us. He never failed them because he didn't promise those things. What he did promise is eternal life, healing in eternity, being with them now in the valley of the shadow of death in pain. Two, another reason this is problematic is that if maybe, you know, maybe our whole faith isn't thrown, but maybe if we are in suffering or we're not succeeding, we feel like, you know what, that's on us. That's on us for not envisioning it, for not seeing it, for having enough faith. And then we twist the grace relationship that we have with God to an earning favor relationship or striving for more when God calls us to rest in him. We no longer... listen to God telling us that, you know, faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. We say, you know what? No, no, God, I think you're telling me that I need more. I need to earn. I need to do better. I need to think better. I need to have more faith. This is on me. 
So that can become really problematic because then too, again, when things start to happen and we start to feel like, you know what, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I feel like I'm having all the faith. I feel like I'm envisioning this. I feel like I'm manifesting this and I'm still in this situation. This isn't being fixed. All of these real, 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 really realistic things. We can go back to that video that I was talking about earlier. I am still sick. I still have a thyroid problem. I still am struggling with infertility. I can't figure out what I'm doing and now I'm bitter because the Lord is not showing that to me. I am trying my hardest and he promised, but he didn't. He did promise to be with us in it, but he did not promise that those things would be solved just because we could envision it. And it's so problematic to claim that. Another reason is because truly, ultimately, it can be selfish. It assumes that God is our genie in a bottle because again, like that person said, quote, that what ever we can, you know, envision, we can see whatever is that whatever we want, you know, and I heard that on that sermon on Instagram, whatever we want, if we can envision it, it is ours. Have faith. That's not the case at all. Now we do have that verse. that's like, whatever you ask in my name, but that doesn't mean that if we, you know what, I want a convertible. That's not God giving this blank check to whatever we want. No, not at all. Again, we're taking these verses out of context And two, something that's really important, I think, is that when we take verses out of context to have a promise of God that he didn't actually promise us, we miss out on other important and beautiful and powerful promises of God. We talked earlier about how in Romans 8, Paul says how we will go through tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and the sword. And even Paul says when we are being killed all the day long. But that verse also says that nothing, none of those things that are going to happen, he understands that it's it's going to happen, will separate us from the love of God. There, If there is suffering and there will be suffering, that we know that God can comfort us. He actually calls himself the God of all comfort, but he doesn't need to call himself that if he's just going to fix the problem, if we can envision it, if we have enough faith. He doesn't need to call himself that. There's no need for comfort if he's just going to fix it, but he calls himself the God of all comfort. And if we're claiming something else, just waiting for the fix, then we're losing sight of, you know what? God actually, he came down and he is with me in my suffering. He is with me in the valley of the shadow of death. He is with me when things are far beyond what I can handle. And he calls me to rely on him, to come to him, to cast my cares on him, to come at his feet. And he is with me in the thick of it. He's with me in the storm. And sometimes, yes, he does miraculous things. If there is no suffering, then we don't need to receive his comfort. And God promises us us comfort and he says it's so that we can comfort others so we can assume that we're going to need that comfort and that we're going to need to comfort other people and god too another promises that he will comfort us he also promises us that he will deliver us from things absolutely but a lot of times that might look like the ultimate deliverance when we are with him in eternity it does not mean it's not a blanket statement to say that whatever i can envision if i have enough faith it is mine. That's not what scripture says. He never says it. And false doctrine, believing these things isn't irrelevant or harmless or, you know, to each their own, whatever they want to believe. Because we believe it, 
because it affects our view of the Lord and truth and because we share it, it's impactful. And if it's wrong, it's harmful. It's harmful. And that's why I really wanted to dive into this today. Um, I think it's just so important. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Again, I think it's so important to say that the Lord has so many good things for us and he has so many incredible promises for us. And he does deliver us. He does heal. He absolutely saves. He redeems. He restores. There's so many incredible things that he does do for us. But a lot of those things sometimes, you know, those are hopes that we have for eternity, that that will happen because we, the reality is we live in a fallen world. We as Christians, as believers live in a fallen world. And so sometimes things aren't going to be totally right here. Oftentimes they won't be, they're going to be flawed sometimes more than others, but they're going to be imperfect. And the Lord doesn't promise that we won't suffer, but he promises us that he will be in it with us. And that is such a sweet thing that we can cling to. And he promises us that ultimately there is deliverance. And that is such a sweet thing that we can cling to. Friend, I hope that this episode was encouraging. It was helpful. It was maybe... um I don't know, clarifying in some way too. I think it's just such a passionate, something I'm so passionate about because there are so many people in my life that love Jesus with all of their heart that go, are going through and have gone through really difficult things, things that, you know, have been mentioned in that video that they can just, should be able to just envision away and they can't. And the reality is that that is life and the Lord, you know, is with them in those things. And I'm passionate about this topic because to say that they can just envision it away is one, false, as we've learned, two, it's harmful, and three, it diminishes the actual promises of God in their lives, in all of our lives, because we are all going to go through suffering. So friend, I hope this was an encouragement to you. I'm praying for you. I would love to hear your thoughts on this, but that is our episode for today. So thank you for being here with me. It's always great to chat with you. Friend, I love you. I'm praying for you. Have a fantastic day. Live purposefully and live for Jesus.